So for my next interview, I decided to reach out to my good friend, Justin Cummins. Justin is a family man who's employed in the medical industry, who also is a black belt in judo, a, a brown belt in Brazilian jiu-jitsu, and plays drums in the local band Watch Rome Burn. I thought I had a pretty hectic schedule, but honestly, it pales in comparison to what Justin's life is like. So I just wanted to sit down with Justin and talk to him about how he manages to make time for his family, how he manages to make time to train both judo and jiu-jitsu, as well as making time to create and record new music, and as well as doing live performances with his brother Drew, who plays guitar and sings, and their friend Petey, who's their bass player, collectively as the band Watch Rome Burn. Justin also volunteers as one of the medical team members at one of the local jiu-jitsu tournaments here in the Pacific Northwest. I honestly don't know how he does it, but man, he knows how to make it work. So I hope you enjoyed this interview with my friend, family man, fellow martial artist, musician, and all around good guy, Justin Cummins. So today I am with Justin, the drummer from a band called Watch Rome Burn. I previously met Justin, geez, it's been at least 10 years now through Brazilian Jiu Jitsu. Um, decided to get him involved today because number one, does music, does Jiu Jitsu. Also, I wanna pick his brain a little bit about being a family man who is taking time out of that side of his busy schedule to fulfill his other uh, creative sides as well as practicing martial arts, which also includes judo. So without further ado, Justin Matt Cummings. Yay! <laughs> so, how's it going today? It's going great, man. Thanks for having me on. I'm excited. We'll see how this goes, and, and uh, yeah. So normally, uh, people would probably want to interview you as the collective known as Watch Rome Burn. So I decided that we'll do that at another time. Um, I've known you the longest of the three, and I just wanted to just sit down with you and just get get your thoughts on a few things. So. Number one, I know you practice medicine for a living. Is that yes or no? Well, so yeah, I work as a nurse practitioner. Um, so uh, I started off as a registered nurse in the emergency room. I did that for a couple of years before I finished grad school. And so now I'm an ARNP. My primary focus in that uh, close to 10 years was orthopedic surgery assist. And then um, I moved on and uh, now I'm doing family practice with a little bit of urgent care on the side. And you are married, correct? I am married, happily married to an amazing woman. Uh, how many years now and how many children do you have? Uh, Hope that's not too personal of a question. Yeah, no, 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 that's okay. <laughs> um, so uh, 18 years as far as the marriage, and then we have three kids. Um, so I've got a 16-year-old, and I've got a 10-year-old, and a 7-year-old. Nice. And so you and I met, Jesus, I think we were blue belts at the time, maybe white blue belts. Probably somewhere right around And there. Uh, Foster Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu. Um, Shout out to James Foster. Yeah, no doubt, right? Um, so number one, you had... Had you done judo prior to jujitsu or right around the same time? Uh, a little bit, although not real seriously. So I've done martial arts some in some variant form basically since I was like 10 years old. I mean, uh, I started out doing Shotokan karate with my dad uh, under a guy named Jerry Bentler um, back in the 80s. Um, and then, you know, teenage years, I'd take time off and go back to it. But but yeah, started off with karate and then um, I did some judo and did... Uh, um, some other stuff mixed in there, a little bit of boxing, a little bit of kickboxing, and that sort of thing. But um, then started off uh, training with James in 2004. I think it was when I that school. And that's when he was down in Auburn? Yeah, that was back at the Auburn school. And he was in a karate school, so he was, right. I think he had just gotten his brown belt at the time, if I remember correctly. And, uh, and yeah, I've been with him ever since. And uh, any particular reason why you picked up judo and then jujitsu, or was it 
Was there any rhyme to any reason there? Yeah. Um, yeah, I, I think, so, so again, growing up as a kid in the 80s, Karate had this like mysticism associated with it. Are you, you know? right? Rough Macho. Right, right. The Karate Kid and movies like Bloodsport or Going Back in the Day, like Enter the Dragon. You know, uh, and there was like this pop culture sense of like you, you know, you're gonna be a black belt. You could have the death touch and like all this sort of like be like play Steven Seagal. Right, right. Exactly, exactly. Although looking back, that makes me shudder. But but yeah. So you had this this thought that like there was this like magic component to martial arts. And I mean, I I loved karate when I was doing it. And I still love it. Like I. I I like doing kata. I like, you know, the, the whole like traditional martial arts um, aspect to it. But uh, there there was a point probably, it was sometime in junior high, um, where you started to realize like some of it was was not correct. Like you were being lied to a little bit. Like it wasn't really going to work out the way that you were practicing on non-resisting opponents. And um, then the UFC rolled around sure. and we all got our education. And... Karate had this really cool theoretical element to it. It's like, well, maybe if I twist the wrist and stomp at the instep, then this will result. So that's cool that you come up with this technique and you're, you're thinking about it. But it didn't have the laboratory component where it's like, let's, let's test this out on a resisting opponent and see if it really works. Sure. And judo and jujitsu had that in spades. And it you know, wouldn't lie to you. It would let you know exactly not only how your offensive techniques would work, but how your how your defense was, right? Can you escape from being pinned down by a larger opponent, or you know, can you escape from that choke? And uh, it lets you know in real time and in a very visceral way, and um, in a way that karate didn't. So, sure. yeah, that was that was probably the, the UFC and and just uh, seeing people that I knew that did karate that you know in a schoolyard fight would get absolutely murked by a kid who just started doing high school or junior high wrestling, right? You know, so um, yeah. Cool. So then fast forward a few years, you know, we're at James's new school. You're now a brown belt, correct? I am. And what rank do you hold in judo now? First degree black belt, so showed karate. up. How far did you progress in karate? So I got my brown belt in karate um, under the American Karate Scream Association in Auburn. Um, had, yeah, at some point, I have so many goals with my life, but I'd like, I would love to go back and get my black belt eventually. We'll see. We'll see what happens. Now, what's going to come first, karate black belt or jiu-jitsu black belt? <laughs> well, I keep, I keep begging James to bump me back to, like, two-stripe white belt. So, you know, that's, like, come on, man. Uh, so, so we'll see. He has is, he is so far been disinclined to acquiesce to my request. But I, you know, I, I can understand where you, because there's been times where people who have taken years off of training like people who have taken a decade off and it's like, you know, I don't think I'm still a purple belt. You know, can you demote me back down to white? And James has always been like, no, because it's like riding a bicycle. You may be rusty at first, but it's all going to come back. So I, I noticed that too when I've taken time off, either through injuries or, you know, having downtime to take care of my son, Zachary, when he was going through all his cancer battles, you know, you, you, you're seriously out of shape. But after a while, you start to realize you know, the technique is still there and it's, it's saving me from these people who are just going spastic on you or they're thinking, oh, here's this guy who hasn't been on the mats in a while. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to turn it up full throttle. And then you realize you have the ability to slow these people down and humble them a little bit. And you didn't have that before you started right. training. Like you would have no ability to do that. Right. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I can completely relate to that. Um, like I said, I've been training with James since 2004 and, and I did a little bit of jujitsu with some other gyms before. Uh, if I'm fosters, but, um, but yeah, I've, I'd, I had to take time off during grad school and, you know, just 
through my job's pretty busy and, and sure. keeps me running most of the time. So like my training is not as consistent as I would want it to be. I get in when I can, um, you know, every opportunity I can take. But yeah, I think the the thing to keep in mind with with any sort of endeavor like that, artistic endeavor, whether it's martial arts or um, or anything else, it's like it has to be a slow process. It has to be something you love and you want to do forever because there's going to be all sorts of setbacks, like injuries or just time off from work and uh, any anything that that can be really disheartening. And the at least the way I look at it is, I just want to be able to. Be, be able to beat myself from six months ago. Like if I was to face that guy, I could, um, you know, I could, I could do well against him or do better than, than he would. So um, that's kind of the yardstick. Because if you start measuring yourself against other people, you know, yeah, as, as remember as a blue belt uh, taking a couple of years off and coming back and just getting smoked by white belts or, you know, sure. that sort of thing. Or, you know, it can happen now too, right? But um, there's people that I'll, I'll get to my black belt and they'll still just through sheer like physicality or, you know, their quick studies or whatever, they'll... they'll or they do great. nothing else but train. Right, 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 right. And especially as you get older too. I mean, you know, that's... Uh, the point is to be Helio Gracie. I don't know that he could have beaten, you know, competed at Pans when he was 90, <laughs> but, but like that didn't make his knowledge base any less. Yeah, but look at Megaton. He's, <laughs> right, you know, he's, but... he's probably my age and he's still going to the adult worlds, which is 18-year-olds. That's true. And still whooping everybody. Inspirational, man. Yeah. You, you look at this guy and you think, ah, oh, he's not going to, he's going to get killed. And next thing you know, he's just throwing these younger whippersnappers. And so... He's a perfect example of, of age shouldn't be a factor as to whether anybody should train or not. Hell, look at our teammate Rick. You yeah, know, he's been exactly. through a bunch of adversity himself, and he still makes time to come in and train. Right. And you've got people that, you know, like Thad and Trevin and myself and a few others, you included, who have been around with James for the longest time, and we all know where home is, so to speak. We know yeah. that once we leave to take care of other business, whether it's personal work-related, whatever the case may be, we're always welcome back with open arms. And there's not a, from what I see, the perception from other gyms, and I'm not trying to belittle anybody, but when people take time off, they're kind of, they're kind of given a hard time about it. Whereas James, James understands that, you know, life gets in the way. Yeah. And he'll, he'll kind of rib you and say, I'm never going to let you quit. But he also understands that if you have to take time off, you have to take care of yourself, you got to take care of yourself. Sure, sure. So that's one of the reasons why I love training there because he brings in, I mean, I'm, like, I, don't have, I don't have anything to compare it to other than when he first moved to West Valley when he got the, the two warehouses that were next to each other with the one sure. wrestling mat. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and I remember he thought that was big and everybody else thought that was big because they all moved there from the Auburn facility, which was even tinier, and it was right. subletted from a karate school. Yep. And... He talks about his student base then, and he talk, and we look at how many people he has training with him now, plus all the associate schools. Sure, yeah. Man, it's pretty incredible how, how sh- people think, oh, man, you know, 10, 15 years is a long time. Not when you run a business. I mean, that, can, that seems like forever. I mean, sure, sure. 15 years can go by pretty quick, but he's actually accomplished a lot in that short amount of time. And for anybody who's aspiring to do other things outside of the gym, we can look at what he's done as as a mentor, as an entrepreneur, being successful on his own terms, then it, it, that's how I look at it when I'm trying to grow, grow my photography business. And I'm sure he's encouraged you with your creative outlet with being in the band. He's not going to hold you back. Right, right. No, absolutely. Yeah, no, I, I definitely look to that guy as an inspiration and, and a mentor. And I mean, just the amount of time and energy he invests 
not only into the school, but into individual students and like really getting to know your story and like being there for you and creating that family atmosphere, not just in the sense of like families are welcome there. I feel comfortable bringing my kids there and not every you know, fighters gym is like that, right. but in the sense that he really fosters that sense of, of camaraderie and brotherhood and sisterhood between the people who are training, man, and sure. everybody's tight. And, and even though it's it's grown, you know, like you said, there's a lot of affiliate gyms now, there's still that sort of sense of, of like oneness, right? That's, you see what I did there? One yeah, jiu-jitsu. one jiu-jitsu. Hey, right. shout out to Jiva. Yeah, 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 absolutely. So. Um, but yeah, man, and that it is, it is very inspirational how he has done it on his own terms. Um, that is a very, very, very cool thing. So let's go ahead and uh, look at the band aspect of it. Well, you and I've talked about this before in a previous video, which uh, I'll put in the description and also link it right here. <laughs> or nice. actually, it'll be on this side. <laughs> awesome. awesome. Um, so basically, uh, at one point in time, you, you and I sat down previously and we did um, like, here's, let's meet the band, let's meet the individual members. And you talked about you've been playing for a while. You've been playing drums for a while, and just out of, I don't know if it was because of cosmic forces bringing you and your brother back together, but you talked about how you and Drew would just get together and jam, and then you create these little bits and pieces that eventually became songs. Uh, you started out as a two-piece. Um, quite honestly, it's, it's, really, it's actually pretty amazing because I know when I used to play, in order to be able to play clubs, you, you literally had to pay your dues because there was no internet back then. There, all we had was tape trading and flyers. Sure. Now you can get on Facebook and like, hey, or on Instagram or YouTube and just say, hey, we have a show coming up and you can get other bands that may not necessarily be in the same genre as you and still put on a killer bill, doesn't cost a lot of money, and you got places like Luigi's Pizza which welcomes unsigned artists with open arms. So in your opinion, do you think that the way that the band has grown incrementally in the last couple of years has exceeded your expectations or do you still think you have a lot to prove? That's a great question. Um, uh, yes and yes uh, would be my answer. So like I'm, I am super happy with what we've done. It makes me feel good to get together with my brother and jam and like perform these songs in front of people and get that audience feedback. Like there's there are very few things that are more gratifying than that. Um, or just working with Petey, who's the third member of the band, and uh, Drew, my brother, on songs like just jamming out here in the barn and like taking something that's that's pretty amorphous and and you know pretty ill-defined concept at first and like molding it and nurturing it and creating a song out of it. Like that whole process is just like it's cathartic from a personal standpoint. So like um, like those aspects of the band are just awesome, man. I love that. Uh, and if that if that was all it was, I'd be perfectly happy with that. Uh, it is it is really cool. Like you already mentioned, the um, the social media aspect of it is so different from how it used to be because we're we're right around the same age. And I played in bands in high school, little punk rock, you know, go nowhere chaos bands that like get yeah, tape trading, flyering, um, all that stuff was the way to do things. And and that had its own like charm, I guess, to it. Uh, it's it's kind of sad that that's gone largely by the wayside. Um, but yeah, social media provides this, this great tool, and it's it's really cool when something happens, like you know, somebody from another country listens to one of our songs and then like gives us feedback on it. Like that's just mind blowing. It's like you know, because you didn't have that reach before, like in nineteen ninety. Yeah. Then right? you only had like your little. Insular group. Yeah, you had you had you had your little centrifuge of people that were in that little area of, of your location, so to speak. Like for me, I, look, I grew up in the Bay Area in San Francisco and yeah, yeah, yeah. you know everybody knew each other, but 
things really, unless you were like heavily in the tape trading or in the fanzines and no one, no one cared about you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> if you were, if you had like that paleolithic work ethic and were willing to do the black flag, live in a van for, you know, exactly. five years, like you could maybe get some stuff out, but like, not, not many of us were willing to do that. Um, so yeah, but now you, you can have this like vast reach. It has, and I know this has been talked to death kind of in other, uh, medias, but, um, like you, you do end up kind of feeling like you're drowning in a sea of plenty sometimes with social media, right? Because right. everybody has that access. And so, um, you know, how do you get your band to stand out? And, you know, hopefully we're writing good enough songs that people think we stand out, right? Well, you mentioned PD a minute ago. Uh, I knew PD from when he was a solo artist mm-hmm. with his um, pseudonym or alter ego, PD Normal. Uh, we kind of talked a little bit about how he came into the fold. I know that he had gone through some life experiences as well that were pretty challenging for him. And he seems to be really happy right now jamming with you guys. He, he still brings elements of PD Normal sure. with him. Yeah. Um, he kind of rounded out the team, so to speak. How have things been going with PD? And well, number one, how did he come into the band? And number two, how are things going? Yeah, um, so... I mean, we just we basically met through the scene uh, again. Like I'd seen his stuff on on Facebook and social media, and I knew he kind of played when we were entering the scene. Like he he knew the same people that we were talking to, like Jessica and Nick from Lust Punch. He was kind of not affiliated with them, but like hung out with them to a degree. Um, and uh, and so it was just sort of. I, I think I had gone to one of his shows at Lucky Liquor uh, and <laughs> seen him there, which. Um, but it was really cool. I remember because it's a really small venue, and uh, so he has his, his uh, setup. He's just beginning his show, and like he's like, got the big PD Normal sign in front of him, and these two dudes just start like basically going at it at the bar, like loud, right? And there's nothing else going on. And the situation starts to quiet down, but like Petey doesn't miss a beat. He just starts going into his show, which is chaotic and crazy enough. And it almost seems like it was, the whole thing was planned. It totally wasn't. But man, that guy, like, <laughs> I was like, this guy's a performer, man. Cause like it didn't throw him. He didn't like, you know, stand up like he was part of the crowd and say, like, well, what's going on? Like he just, he just launched right into it. So that was pretty, that made an impression on me. Um, and yeah, and we just, like, we really clicked when we started, you know, we, we talked to each other on the scene a couple times, and we liked a lot of the same things. Like, he is super into bad, cheesy 80s horror movies, which is something that Drew and I just devour uh, on a regular basis. So uh, we got together doing, like, as, as dorky as it sounds, these regular horror movie nights. So we still do that as a band. Um, and, uh, yeah, that's, like, one of our main, like, de-stressing after a gig or, you know, sort of de Yeah, it's team, team building. Yeah, yeah, exactly, <laughs> exactly. Um, so we, we, we like the same things aesthetically, too. Uh, and his act, uh, for those of you who haven't seen it, is amazing. Everybody should see it. But it's very different from Watch Rome Burn, um, you know, just like looking at them um, as two things objectively, you might not say, well, these two things obviously go together. But then when you put his sound with ours, like, I don't know, I, I, I vibe off it. I think it's great. It works. Yeah, it works so well. It's, it's pretty funny because um, going back to how he didn't miss a beat, so to speak, uh, I, I met him at a few shows, hadn't seen him perform yet. And he messages me and he's like, hey, dude, I'm playing El Corazon, open up for this one band called Black Tom Mojo. I'm like, all right. And he's like, and I told him, well, I was thinking about going, but now that you're on the bill, I'm going to go. And the biggest compliment he gave me, he put it on Instagram was, I've always wanted my picture taken by Mike and I finally got it. (laughs) Which was awesome because he's up there on stage 
with his, uh, you know, his Dean guitar, the dime bag. Yeah, 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 and yeah. I'm just like, dude, this is great. And um, unfortunately, um, it was one of those shows at El Corazon where it was like a Monday night and no one showed up. And the only people in the bar were the people who worked there and a few photographers. And, sure, sure. But Petey played that show like there was a million people in there. Right. And he didn't, he's just like, yeah, whether it's my mom or whether it's this person or that person, it doesn't matter. I'm, I'm going to give him a show. And he gave us a show and it was great. And um, sadly, I haven't been able to make it to one of your shows as a three-piece yet, but the videos I have seen, he, he still brings the magic, dude. He kills it, man, every time. Like, the guy is just, he is a performer. So, yeah, he's added a lot to, he's added a lot to our sound in general terms, right? He's really filled things out uh, with the bass, and, um, and we've created some, uh, it's been exciting because we've got to create more dynamic songs, um, but just the stage show he's like he's so engaging so personable like he he gets in there with the audience and makes them you really feel the show that's going on so yeah he's been he's been a huge help man love that guy he's he's great and he's just a really cool dude so that was the other thing right because i think it can be intimidating coming into a band if it's it's two brothers right because obviously drew and i have our own dynamic together i've known that guy since he was born and like literally changed his diapers through i literally did that uh, so so like i know him pretty well um and and pd just like he just fit right i haven't changed his diapers yet but i will uh, <laughs> so um i don't know if people can tell by the elaborate decorations in here and uh, you guys hired a pretty awesome stellar interior decorator um <laughs> So you guys practice in a barn. We do. <laughs> and you guys decorated it yourselves, obviously. <laughs> um, how's it worked out? I mean, I, I, not to say it's uncool that you're playing at your parents. <laughs> oh, we are so we are so past being cool. That's yeah, we are definitively uncool. Yes, we practice in our parents' barn. Um, and the neighbors don't care. They don't give you shit about it. That would. Um, so far, so but, good. But you guys aren't practicing like at three o'clock in the morning, right? right? Yeah, we try to be as respectful as we can and practice, you know, once or twice a week in, in hours where it would be acceptable. That's uh, we are respectful rockers. Um, so yeah, no, this this place has been awesome. So uh, it's largely Drew's creative space. I mean, we both use it for this band, but uh, a lot of the art on the walls is Drew's stuff because he does he does all sorts of art right from uh, visual stuff to sound stuff he also does a lot of recording so he has a number of different projects no animal is one if i can give a shout out um sure. so everybody should check that out on facebook and instagram and youtube no animal it's his solo like uh, more electronic uh rap and dubstep project so it's it's awesome stuff check that out um so he you know he he had basically built this uh place up for those things but it's been really cool to just have a space that we can use at any time, and um, yeah, we can basically do anything here. This is this is our our place to to experiment and to see what works and what doesn't work. Um, and you also do all your recordings in here. Yeah, so that's that is something I think we're all pretty proud of. So we do all our own recording. So all all our songs are songs that we've written ourselves. So, so they so they get germinated, they sprout, and they grow up, and they get. Put into fruition here. Everything from you know cradle to grave, so to speak. Yeah, we do all the mixing and mastering now on this new album. We recorded um, one song off Fox Heretic off our last album at One Shot Studios with Dylan Fant, I think is the guy's name, uh, and that was a good experience. But 
Was that the, was that the one that you had the guy who was showing you how to mic everything up, like the drums and one, or is that something totally different? Um, oh no, that was that was here. That was Colin. Um, shout out to Colin. He uh, he plays drums for Stravinsky Riots, and he also does. He's done a lot of like music production stuff. He's a friend of Drew's. Okay. Um, so he yeah, that video was was here in the bar, and so I don't think we did any recording with with Dylan, not like visual recording with Dylan. Um, but yeah, this was just like. We can take our time, do it at our own pace here, and uh, so it just provided a little bit more freedom. And Drew has has some formal schooling and recording and production and that sort of thing, so he gets to put it to good use. Nice. And then on top of that, you got PD doing all these little vlogs now. Right, right. Which are, the year-end one was pretty awesome. Thank you. Especially when you guys were like doing like the three-part harmonies and stuff, or the vocals, oh, and, sure. and you yeah, guys were yeah. just... The gang vocals? Yeah, the gang vocals. It was, it was kind of cool, because it's like, I don't know what they're saying. Right. But it sounds pretty cool. <laughs> or when you guys screw up and... <laughs> You're right, 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 right. There's a lot of that, man. It's great that you guys are taking stuff that people would normally eliminate and not put out there and show people, like, hey, it's not just hit record one track or one lay down a track and you're done. It's, you're gonna, it's over and over and over. And I guess the, a really good example that comes to mind is watching La Bamba when Richie Valens is in the oh, studio. Yeah, yeah. Like, dude, I had it right the first time. And they kept going over and over, you know? <laughs> right. Well, that's, yeah, that's, that process is something that, like, I wouldn't want to eliminate um, because that's, that's part of the whole thing. Like, yeah, we are definitely um, not perfect. <laughs> There's, there are so many screw-ups and outtakes and uh, you know, stuff that doesn't even end up in those vlogs. But, like, that's the stuff that really makes it good right you know and i think it kind of goes back to like why i love jujitsu too like jujitsu is super hard there's a lot of screw-ups in that there's a lot of times where i like you know somebody just they're they're going for a sweep and i'm like i avoided it and then they're on my back and they're choking me out and i'm like oh i fell right into their trap like i I totally botched that completely but then that lets me learn and it's the same thing with with music too um there are those things that that just seem like uber embarrassing, but like those are the moments that like a humanize things for your audience, I think, and b like that's that's part of the story, man. Like um, our first gig at Louis, it was our, our second gig ever, I think. Um, Drew's amp caught on fire. It's like, man, someone's burning pizza. No, dude. <laughs> Well, I was just sitting back there with the kid. I'm like, that smoke machine is going nuts. Like, Chris Peterson is just, like, flooding this place. And I was like, oh, we're on fire. That's, all right. Um, and people were like, what the hell? <laughs> we're literally watching Rome burn. Yeah. But was, was it actually his amp or was it his footboard? I thought it was his footboard that, like, shorted out or something. Amp. It was his amp. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, like, the, the, like the tubes go on? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I can't, I can't remember. Yeah, it was bad. It was bad. We finished off the show, though, so that was something. Uh, but, but, like, that, you know, is a embarrassing as that could be uh, and it is but like that's it's a story right like yeah, that's, so you look back and you laugh at it we're having you know, it's like oh yeah i totally remember that right, right. <laughs> i was there and it stunk and yeah. it was horrible but people are not going to forget you guys though <laughs> fans and caught fire yeah but i think you know growing up like like i remember from the punk scene not that the punk scene is perfect either but growing up in that like it was very much an imperfect thing right so like in the 80s 90s you had the, like, that glam metal stuff where everything was very polished and like you know the sound was very professional quality and punk was not it was like very ugly and just like there was a lot of mistakes and missteps and like that i think just on a base aesthetic level like that appealed to me more cuz i could relate to it more um so there's there's that aspect of it too like um yeah you, you should be able to laugh at yourself or not take yourself so seriously you should be not not that i'm perfect at this but you should be humble right 
which and, is ironic enough. <laughs> no, it's just it's great because there's too many people out there. No matter what you do, no matter what aspect of life, no matter what profession you're in, there's always the ten percent who think they walk on water, right, right? And they are difficult to work with, and it's either their way or no way, or they're the one the first ones to nitpick someone else, but they don't ever look at their own work. Sure. Yeah. 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 Well, that's. Um, I was thinking about this the other day, like um, about things that don't lie to you, like activities that don't lie to you. Like jujitsu didn't lie to me the way that karate did, right? But in medicine, um, you're you're in in kind of this, in a way, exalted position as a medical provider, um, and especially right out of school. But even you know years after getting out of school, you go through all the schooling, and then you start seeing patients and. Like they believe what you say, they listen to you a lot of times, hopefully, uh, and that's that's a heady feeling of power. And it also you feel this immense sense of responsibility that you know if they ask you questions, you should answer them, answer them correctly. And like there is, there are very few situations that are more uncomfortable than you're you're sitting there, you've got this vast library of knowledge kind of stored in your brain, and you know someone's grandpa's there on the bed and they're not doing well, and the whole family's there watching and. Somebody asks a question that you just don't know the answer to, right? And it's one of those like fight or flight type moments. And you kind of have two choices. You can either, you can lean into it and you can be humble and you can say something akin to, that's an excellent question. And I'm, I'm sorry, but I don't have the answer. I, I can't give you an answer right now. I can research it and I will and I will tell you what I find. Or you can bullshit, right? And like that is the wrong thing to do. And it objectively, like kind of judging that imaginary provider in that situation, you can be like, well, you know, it's obvious you shouldn't lie. But like I've seen people do it. Or like I think all of us, you know, um, have been guilty of that to some degree or another. You find yourself saying like, oh, no, I don't think we should worry about that because in your, in your head you're like, nope, nope, shouldn't be doing that. Right. So, um, but it's that that element of humility, right, where you you have to have, you have to be humble enough to know when you don't know something and be able to express that in front of people who but might think otherwise. You have the integrity to tell people that you made a mistake or backtrack a little bit and you talk about humility where like, yeah, I don't know, but I will find out. Right. And even as a coach, you know, teaching other people jujitsu stuff, it's like they expect all the black belts to know everything. I'm like, right. uh, I don't know everything. So whatever you, fortunately, if someone like our coach James, he re- does a lot of research because that's, he lives, eats, breathes, sleeps jujitsu. Right, right. You and I don't. So I'm not going to, like, oh, how do I get, uh, get out of this? Oh, that's easy. Don't get in that spot. To be <laughs> but no, seriously, seriously, how do I get out? I'm like, I, I don't know. I'll find out. Sure. And, and is that a fault of mine? No, I don't think so because I only go in a couple times, three times a week. And it got to the point where I was teaching fundamentals, but other things came up. And I'm like, hey, I can't, I can't do this anymore. And luckily, there's other people who were there to fill that void. Right. And they give their spin on stuff. So that's the great thing about music, art, photography, videography, doesn't matter. Jiu-jitsu, everybody has their own take on stuff. So I can do one thing one way, and you're going to be like, that's cool, but this is how I do it, which is cool too. And so there's there's many ways to skin a cat, so to speak. Right, yeah. No, absolutely. Well, yeah, it's, especially with jiu-jitsu, that's one of the things I love. I, I love judo. I think it's one of the most aesthetically pleasing arts to watch, right? Those high amplitude throws where somebody's just getting elevated, like that is a beautiful thing um, in a way that I don't think a lot of arts have that. But what it what it does, I'm gonna be critical of judo, even though I love it, it, it is very much, a, you're not playing by the rules, I'm gonna take my ball and go home type of endeavor a lot of times. And I think that's sad, that's not a good thing, it's kind of tragic. Uh, whereas jujitsu is very much like, 
you know, wrestlers start doing jujitsu and they start taking everybody down with double legs, well, then jujitsu guys start learning how to do double legs or learning how to sprawl. Well, they right? take away the double leg, <laughs> which, which is what they've done recently. Oh, has, has uh, the IBJJF done that? I don't know. No, you're talking about judo. Judo, yeah, yeah, yeah. Judo, yeah, yeah, yeah. Sorry, I should have been more clear. Yeah, judo took away the double leg, took away grabbing the, the pants or below the waist. And, like, that's tragic. That That's not the way to elevate your art, whereas jiu-jitsu is definitely forward-thinking in that regard. They they adapt. Right, right? and they've... They, they evolved the rules to accommodate other, other disciplines. Right. Oh yeah, and then yeah. judo, you can't do the double sided grip either. So, yeah. but um, but yeah, just it totally understand. Yeah, because with a lot of the wrestlers, especially like it, where we train at, coming in right out of school, whether it be high school or collegiate wrestlers, yeah. you can't look at a brown or a blue belt or or a white belt anymore and think, ah, they don't know anything. It'll it'll be a piece of cake. <laughs> the next thing you know. They're just crushing you. Right, right. And you're like, what the, what just happened? Yeah, 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 yeah. Man, been there so many times. Yeah, like high degree of athleticism, great base, and you can't sweep them, and then they're, they're taking you down. So yeah, I, I, you definitely can't judge a book by its cover. But instead of getting mad and saying, well, you can't do that anymore, you know? You yeah, you go with it, and you learn how to be better. Right? You have that humility. And um, so I, I think it just, this is my opinion. I think that true judo, the way that uh, Kano envisioned it, you know, it, it embodies a lot more than current Olympic judo, you know, this mm-hmm. practiced everywhere does. Um, and I, I hope that it trends back that way. I understand the thought of preserving the throws because those can start to go by the wayside. You can lose that ability of practitioners to really invest in learning those throws if it's easier to pull guard, right? Or if it's easier to shoot a double leg or whatever it is. So I understand wanting to preserve the integrity of the art. I just think there are, there are better ways to go about it. Um, but I won't, I won't digress into an analog spiel about that. Understood, understood. So let's go back to the music. Um, with practicing medicine, practicing judo, jujitsu, having a family. How do you make time to do all this stuff? <laughs> I mean, people ask me, like, how do you do all this? Like, I live and die by my calendar. If it's not on my calendar, chances are I don't know about it. And it's all about time management. I mean, yeah, yeah, I think that's the key, right? It, and, like, not necessarily equating fun with with doing something you love all the time, right? It's not that things are always going to be 100% fun or that you're not going to be, you're not going to feel too tired to do them. Like, there are days where I'm like, I have we have to play a show tonight and I'm exhausted. Or, you know, it's like my, my daughter wants to play chess and I've just come off a 12-hour shift and, you know, I was... Uh, you know, outplayed a show the night before that or whatever it is, whatever combination of events uh, lead to me being tired. But it's like, some of it is is the struggle. Like that that feeling of after you're all done with everything, after you've squeezed every single ounce of activity you can out of the day and you crash into your bed and your head hits the pillow, just being exhausted and like, I couldn't do anymore. Like that's, that's, that's what I'm striving for. Anyway, that's, so like... Being tired, I think, is a good sign. Um, but in terms of just making it work, yeah, it's it's time management. It's also knowing when when to say when, right? There, as much as I like pushing myself, right? You know, let's you know work and then go do jujitsu and then go do band practice. Like there are times where I could realize that, yeah, no, I'm just too tired to do one of those, and I'm going to X one of those out. So you know, balance is an important concept, I think, for as as a life skill in general. Um, I drink a lot of coffee. 
<laughs> that helps. A lot of creators do. <laughs> right, right. Um, and, and I think, so just as a mindset principle, I think being willing to engage in something that's different or, or, or be outside the box, which, you know, it's kind of a platitude or, you know, it might sort of be easy to say, but it can be a scary thing to embark on some artistic endeavor and be tired and have your job and say, like, I don't want this to distract from the things that really matter. Sure. But in my estimation, like, that does matter. It might, like, being artistic or, or, you know, doing martial arts or whatever hobby slash passion you have, it should be something that, um, like, it might not immediately give you money to buy food, but it still contributes to your overall mental health. It's something you should engage in and, and like, be there. And, and it's important to do that and not to just excise that from your life. Yeah, and when it becomes more of a chore as opposed to being something that you really enjoy. Sure, sure. Because for me, there, I mean, I love going out and taking pictures, and it doesn't matter what it is. But it got to the point where that's all I'm doing is like all this stuff for everybody with nothing in return. Right. So I'm, I had to make the conscious decision. Okay, this is kind of affecting my attitude about wanting to go out and do stuff. It's making me bitter as opposed to making me happy. Sure. And I'm not disrespecting anybody I've ever done work for before. But it, I'm no, kidding, I'm kidding, sorry. <laughs> it kind of caught me off guard. But but for the most part, though, honestly, it's just um, people respect that because they they they're all the same way. They all have their regular lives. They got their families. They got their jobs. They got to go to. And being a creative is their outlet to, like like how James explains it when we go train jujitsu. Leave everything at the door. You're in. This is your sanctuary for an hour and a half. You think about nothing else except training. And I think that's the same way when it comes to going out and whether it's doing a show, going out to create music, go out to, you know, whatever the case may right. be. Um, if when it starts to become unfun is when it's time to take a step back from it, reevaluate. Yeah. Yeah. I think when you start to equate whatever your passion is with like kind of that, that, that gray death of, um, the grind, the daily grind, where you're anticipating it rather than being in the moment. So, like, you know, a lot of people sort of slog through their their day with, like, I get up earlier than I feel like I should. I just, you know, hate my way through my traffic commute in the morning. I sit in my cubicle and I don't really like what I'm doing. And then I crush home through traffic again. And, like, it's this cycle over and over and over again, right, that you kind of get caught up in. Uh, and and part of the problem with that is the anticipation of, I'm going to do that same thing tomorrow. And, I, mm-hmm. and there's an aspect we all just have to own with that. But your passions, like you shouldn't let them fall into that cycle. If it, like being tired and doing them is one thing, but feeling like you're already anticipating what you have to do with them and you don't like it, yeah, then you should take a step back. That's burnout. That's not right. good. You shouldn't feed into that. And, and it's okay to take breaks. Like we were talking about, like in some ways, I think my jujitsu is better because I had to take time off rather than if I train six days a week for, you know, five years. Right, because then you, you still got to give yourself time to rest and recoup. Right, right. And people don't understand how important rest is. And it either it's physically or mentally. You know, just uh, there are times where I feel my best when I just get in my car and go for a drive and with destination unknown, so to speak. Right, yeah, yeah. And yeah, get where I need to be and just do nothing. And the, I just did that a couple weeks ago. I just thought, you know what, I'm going to go out and take some pictures. I don't know where I'm going to go. I ended up going past Nicole and we passed and just nice. taking pictures or whatever. And 
And it was just because it was a day off and stuff to do. And I was recovering from knee surgery. Still, I am recovering from knee surgery. And How's it feeling? Eh, it's a little sore, but that's a different topic altogether. <laughs> but um, I just, I got tired of it. I get cabin fever like super fast. I can't be in the house for more than three or four days without going stir crazy. Sure. And so when I got past the hump of, okay, now you can go outside, I went outside. So, yeah. Wait, I'm just curious. Um, do, you, do you like photographing? Things or people better, like or they're, they're different things. It depends on the elements. It depends on the environment. There are some people that are fun to work with all the time, no matter what I'm shooting, whether it's their portrait, them playing live in a band, doing promotional work for them, or they're just people who are just a bear to work with. And there are times where I just want to go out and just go shoot something that can't talk back. Sure. And that's nature, sure. you know, unless it's a bear and they get pissed and they come. <laughs> but, but for the most part, um, I like to go out and find and something that, okay, well, 100 other people have shot this before. How can I do it differently? Oh, that's interesting. Okay. No, that's really cool, actually. And um, the one person who I can think of right away who, who I would aspire to be when he's in the photo pit is a guy named David Endicott. Um, he shoots for some of the dailies. He shoots for Amazon Music. And I met him through Seattle Music Insider. We were at a couple shows together. Um, he was at Iron Maiden. And I was watching him shoot in the pit. And you just see all these photographers just blah, 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 blah. And he's just, just methodically watching. He's just watching the band. He's watching the lights for that perfect shot. And I was like, if I can be like this dude and be patient and and find and see what I want to see. Sure. That's perfect. So I don't have to, A, I don't have to worry a bunch of, worry, wasting a bunch of frames. Right, right, right. And then wasting a bunch of time culling through images. Um, I mean, there are a lot of great photographers out there, but unfortunately, like anything else, um, there's a lot of up and comers who kind of don't know the etiquette of being in the photo pit. And uh, same thing with bands, you know, just there, there are probably a lot of bands out there who, their friends and family tell them they're the best thing since Backstreet Boys <laughs> or, right. or whomever, right? And, and they go That's out there. Away. Yeah, they, they go out there and they get this attitude like, we, we shred, we fucking kill it. And they go out there and they get owned by everybody else. And, right. and then that comes back to, yeah, and that comes back to being humble. And they just yeah. like, well, it was the sound guy's fault that we sounded like shit or whatever. And it's like, no, you guys were out of tune. <laughs> Right, 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 right. You didn't know your material. That's yeah, 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 yeah. No, I totally agree with that. Yeah, that's that's a hard one. Um, again, I, I found that people have kind of two responses. Like you know, and this goes for like random people to friends and loved ones, right? Like and family. Like people are either overly effusively like you're amazing you're the best thing ever you're gonna conquer the world or they're kind of like uh, i don't know, like are you is this just a midlife crisis justin or you know is it like <laughs> why are you doing this why why are you dressing like why are you playing drums like so it's either like hypercritical or it's um or it's you know, we're so great that it couldn't possibly be believed. Right. You know, it's hard to cut through the bullshit sometimes and see like, well, what's the, you know, the truth is probably somewhere in the middle, on, the, on somewhere on the spectrum. But how, how, so in regards to the band, 
Sure. Where can people find you on the socials? Uh, so we are everywhere. So you can find us on Facebook at uh, backslash join the burn legion. Uh, we're on Instagram at watch Rome burn uh, YouTube. Please check that out. Uh, like Mike mentioned, we've got the vlog series on there. It'd be really cool if you want to take a, a watch and a listen to some of those. And our music is up there too. Uh, Spotify um, under watch Rome burn and um SoundCloud and Bandcamp. So please seek us out and subscribe or whatever it is that the kids are doing nowadays on that social internet thing. Um, and yeah, really appreciate everybody checking out our stuff. And any quick shout outs? Uh, shout out to Big Mike and to Zach for making this happen, having me out. I really hope that uh, that, that was good. <laughs> um, yeah, dude, it was awesome, man. And uh, shout out to Petey and um, Drew and Watch Rome Burn because they are my brothers and they are super awesome. And Rocky Mamotiak, um, who's the artist who does all of our band uh, art for albums and whatnot. She's she's awesome. And my wife Emily for being awesome. Cool, man. Well, thanks so much for taking time out of your day to do this for me. Much appreciated. And uh, yeah, dude, just keep rocking. Thanks, man. All right. Man. All right.